This episode may be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors, such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors, are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone, or anything. Alaska, one of the more untouched places on earth, is famous for gold mining, sourdough, the Alaskan Railroad, aviation, Alaskan Native heritage, homesteading, world-class fishing and seafood, outdoor adventures, fresh air, and a slower, more self-sufficient way of life. It is a place where people can find themselves, or hide from everyone else. This is Decoding Cults. And I'm your host, Palsy. You are listening to Papa Pilgrim, Part 4. This week, we will conclude our look into Papa Pilgrim. I would like to insert a blanket trigger warning here. We will be covering sensitive subjects, similar to those in the previous episodes. If these subjects are in any way triggering to you, please take care of your mental health first, and consider this before listening. When we ended off in the previous episode, there were more and more people moving to the mountains in New Mexico, which meant that Papa's life wasn't as secluded as he would have liked it to be. The family's trespassing and poaching of animals and taking objects that did not belong to them started to catch up with them. Their neighbors had realized that the hells were responsible for these cuts in their fences and the items that had gone missing in their barns. A few of them had even reported the family to the police. Papa was also deathly afraid of the CPS coming and taking the children away from him. I think more so because all of his abuse and disgusting behavior would come to light. One day, when Papa was in town for an animal auction, two sheriff's deputies arrested him. Even though he ended up spending the night in jail, it was all sorted out by that next morning. I don't have any of the details on how he got out without any further follow-up, but he was known to be very charismatic, so it could well be that he talked his way out of jail. Papa gained deep resentment towards law enforcement, and this was later amplified when he started receiving fines from the Department of Game and Fish for Poaching. The New Mexico's Game and Fish Department's mission is to conserve, regulate, propagate and protect the wildlife and fish within the state of New Mexico, using a flexible management system that ensures sustainable use for public food supply, recreation and safety, and to provide for off-highway motor vehicle recreation that recognizes cultural, historic and resource values while ensuring public safety. 
This was not Papa's first brush with the law, remember KK, and it would most definitely not be the last. He exclaimed to his family that they were being persecuted for their righteousness. Again, like a cult leader creating an outside enemy that wants to bring the group down. They did, however, not trespass or allow their flock of sheep to graze in neighbors' pastures anymore. As their pastures were not sufficient, they sadly had to slaughter all of their sheep. They did, however, keep the horses. By 1997, the family was struggling. With very little income and even less food to go around, they were in a very bad space. In March of that year, Papa announced to the family that they would be leaving the mountain. They packed up the old Chevy, which, if you remember from our previous episode, they called the barn, and an army truck which they had acquired, which Papa had named Armageddon. Not having a specific destination in mind, they started off by staying in a campground within the New Mexico border. Papa's drinking had intensified. I have no idea how he got the money for alcohol when he could hardly feed his ever-expanding family. On the 15th of March 1997, he had passed out from one of his benders when he was woken by Elishaba. Country Rose was in labour. When Elishaba did manage to eventually rouse her father, he helped bring a little girl into the world, who he named Psalms. Papa befriended a young couple in the nearby town. The couple had a young daughter, and the wife Abigail was pregnant with their second child. True to his form, Papa managed to drive a wedge between the couple, and one morning, the woman and her young daughter showed up at the campsite, wanting to join the family. Papa was afraid that Abigail's husband would report her and her daughter missing and send the authorities their way. So he tasked Country Rose to take Abigail, her child, and all of their younger children and wait for him at a designated place. He did not want to leave as the horses had escaped their makeshift enclosure and the older boys were still out looking for them. As he had predicted, the campsite was surrounded by law enforcement the next morning, demanding to know the whereabouts of Abigail and her child. Obviously, Papa pleaded ignorance. The boys returned with the horses, and, as usual, because they had overstayed their welcome at the park, they were handed papers ordering them to leave, which they did, with a police escort. First, they went back to the old homestead in the mountains to pick up some supplies and sell some more of their horses. Next, Papa sold their cars and bought new ones. He also bought wigs as disguises so they wouldn't be recognized on the road. Once the two halves of the family were reunited again, they started traveling from town to town, begging to make money for fuel, searching through dustbins behind shops for food, and stealing from thrift stores when they needed clothing. This way of living is not great to start with, but with Abigail being pregnant, it must have been hectic for her. Sadly, soon after they had reunited with Papa, she realized that she was being treated just the same as Country Rose. Luckily, when Papa was away on one of his supply trips, Abigail convinced Country Rose to let her go, as she was nearing the end of her pregnancy. Abigail took her daughter, 
went to the nearest police station and handed herself in. She was reunited with her husband shortly after this. I, for one, am glad they got away and hope that wherever they are today, they are safe and happy. Before we continue with the family's travels, I quickly want to discuss two points with you. The first of these was the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, which was implemented in 1980. This act included the settlement of Native American land claims, the construction of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, and the preservation of 100 million acres, or around 40.5 million hectares of land, by claiming it as a national park. The second thing I quickly want to discuss was the implementation of the Permanent Fund Dividend. This is an annual dividend that is paid to Alaskan residents from the earnings of mineral royalties. To qualify for this dividend, you must reside in Alaska permanently and have been there for an entire calendar year. The Hale family continued to live a very nomadic life, moving from one place to the next and oftentimes taking advantage of the kindness of strangers. Papa was still drinking heavily and, well, you know, doing his unspeakable things and preaching to his family that only by staying with him could they ever find salvation and get to heaven. He then somehow got wind of the permanent fund dividend in Alaska, and he decided that the family would move there. Firstly, for the money. Having been such a large family, they would at that point be earning a few thousand dollars per year. Secondly, and I think more so, because there are many people who live there on homesteads that are mostly isolated from the outside world. In my opinion, that must have sounded like absolute heaven to him. The family set off on the 3,500 mile or 5,600 kilometer trip from New Mexico to Alaska. They made money by busking. Remember in the second episode when Papa had told Elisha that she could not play an instrument? Well, it seems that he must have changed his mind along the way, because at one point, Papa wrote down the names of instruments, placed them in a hat, and claimed that whichever instrument they pulled from the hat would be an instrument which God had chosen for them to play. The family would perform bluegrass music to crowds and collect money that way. Now, I had no idea what bluegrass music was, so I found on loc.gov. Bluegrass music is a tradition-based modern style of string band music. Typically, a bluegrass band consists of four to seven performers who sing while accompanying themselves on acoustic string instruments, such as the guitar, double bass, fiddle, five-string banjo, mandolin, steel guitar, and dobro. I found some examples of this genre online, and it's quite catchy. En route to Alaska, while they were going through Canada, Country Rose went into labor again. The family camped out at a lake, and on 4 August 1998, a little baby girl was born. They named her Lamb Yukon Rose Hale. She was the 13th child of the family. Papa was 57, and Country Rose was 38 by this time. When the family arrived in Fairbanks in Alaska, a kind couple allowed them to stay in their junkyard. 
Papa immediately set off to find out how he could apply for the dividend. While in Fairbanks, the family got some tips on how to survive in their new surroundings. They happened upon a young man in a grocery shop who told them about an unused cabin about 60 miles or 95 kilometers outside of town. The family then packed up and made their way to the cabin. It was a tiny place with a loft, and Papa decided that this would be their home for the time being. Once this was decided, he wanted to return to New Mexico to gather more supplies from their old homestead. The family travelled back to New Mexico during December, which, in the Northern Hemisphere, is extremely cold and snowy. Once, when their van broke down and they were struggling to keep warm, Papa said a prayer, which frankly sent shivers down my spine. He said, Lord, if we are to die, then I ask that we all die together. Now, to most people, this may seem that he would not want his family to suffer. But in my opinion, he would not want anyone to survive and tell the world of what exactly happened with his family. Another thought that came to mind was that Papa was implanting the idea of the family all dying together if they ever got into any kind of trouble that Papa could not talk his way out of. When the family reached their homestead in New Mexico, they didn't immediately pack up and go back to Alaska. Instead, Papa sent the older children out to make some money, and Country Rose was once again pregnant. Shortly after baby girl Bethlehem was born on 13 May 2000, they packed up and made their way back to Alaska. Back in Alaska, they camped out in the junkyard again and did work around the yard for the owner to gain some income. Papa was still hoping to find the family a more isolated spot where he could ensure that his family did not mingle with the outside world. So they packed up once again and drove to a town called Homer. This town had less people, and the family set up camp just outside of the town next to a stream. The family searched for properties there, but the ones which were suitable to the life that Papa wanted were only accessible by boat, and they didn't have the money to afford one big enough for the family and their animals. Next, they moved to a town called Anchor Bay, where they worked for a man who needed help chipping the lumber that he owned. The owner grew fond of the older Hale boys, but did not particularly like Papa. The relationship between the owner and the boys soured when the owner stopped paying the family for their labour. The family travelled around a bit, and then found work caretaking a ranch in Soldotna. Once more, Papa would rule from his throne and the children would be tasked with all of the chores to keep the ranch going. Now, I say children, but Elishaba, Joseph and Joshua were already in their 20s at this point. In January of 2002, Papa would learn of a small hamlet called McCarthy. This old mining town from the early 1900s had very few inhabitants and was situated around 480 kilometers or 300 miles east of Anchorage. Here he would be in almost complete isolation from the rest of the world. To Papa, this sounded like a dream come true. A place so far away that he could not be touched. But sadly for him, and luckily for the rest of the family, this place would become his undoing. 
Papa and a few of the older children set off to the town to scope it out. The road there was treacherous and the family had a bit of a hard time getting there. But once they did, Papa was thrilled. They found a local man who owned the only year-round accommodation facility in the area. Soon he put the word out and all of the locals came round to meet the family. Papa introduced himself as Papa Pilgrim. He charmed the locals and the kids entertained them with some music. Using the town as a base, the family travelled around the area looking for a suitable home for them. During one of their outings, they happened upon a pilot who told them about the old copper mine called Motherlode, which was 22 kilometres or 14 miles outside of McCarthy. This was an area which was owned by a man called Walt, who had built a house there, but abandoned it years before. The family got directions and made their way to the old mine. Once they reached it, they all instantly fell in love with the place. They packed up and went back to Country Rose and the rest of the children, who were still in Soldotna. When they told her about the mine, she started calling around and looking for the owner. They finally managed to get hold of him, but he was reluctant to sell. Papa offered him a cash down payment, which helped smooth things over, and an agreement was struck. Papa called their new home, Hillbilly Heaven. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, Alaska had put in place the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act. Now, the reason that this is important is because between the town of McCarthy and the Hale's new home, the area was deemed a national park. Years before, there had been an old mining road between the town and Motherlode, but it had long since been overgrown, and since it ran through the national park, the park authorities never maintained it to ensure that it would not be used. The family had to move all of their belongings up to the property with snow machines. There was an airstrip nearby the property, but sending their belongings by air was very expensive. Walt had left a bulldozer on the property. It was not part of the sale, and he had indicated to the family that he would want to retrieve it at some point. Papa, however, didn't let a small thing like ownership stop him, and when it was possible, he jumped onto it and started clearing the runway close to their new home. He was getting on in years, so he commanded everyone to work to get their home in order while he either shouted at them or sat around strumming his guitar. The children would work around the property, hunt for game, cook, clean and pander to Papa's every whim. The family kept some of their supplies in town in an old wagon which belonged to Walt. They also kept their cars in town. A wagon is a shelter, as for sleeping, eating or storage, often mounted on wheels or tracks, and towed by a tractor or mounted on a raft or boat. Something that is important to note is that the land on which the wagon stood was not owned by Walt or the family, it was owned by another person. The family made use of horses and snowmobiles to get up to their property. During the summer, the three older brothers, Joseph, Joshua and David, would stay in town in the Wanigan and make money providing horseback tours of the surrounding area to tourists. One morning, when Papa was in town tending to some business, the man who had recently moved into the property next door to the Wanigan 
came to introduce himself as their new neighbour. At first, Papa was friendly with the man, until he announced that he was the new park ranger. Papa's demeanour changed immediately. As we know, he had a problem with any person who was in a position of authority with any form of law enforcement agency. He immediately assumed that the man was out to get him. It's worth mentioning that up to this point, the Hales and their neighbours had a relatively good relationship. So when Papa, in his anger at the fact that the park ranger had moved nearby, went ahead and bulldozed the old mining road right through the national parkland, his neighbours at first supported this action. The park authorities, however, had not realised that he had done this. That winter, Country Rose gave birth to a baby boy who they named Jonathan. He would be the 15th child of the Hill family. I'm just going to insert a trigger warning here surrounding abuse. If this will in any way be triggering to you, please skip over the next few seconds. As the family no longer had a shed or attic to banish those who had made Papa unhappy to, he devised a new punishment, grounding. Well, not in the sense that we are familiar with. Papa would make the supposed offenders sit under the kitchen table. They were only allowed to eat any crumbs that fell off the table. Besides the crumbs, they were allowed a small portion of rice, a slice of bread and a glass of water twice a day. They were not allowed to communicate with anyone else and could only leave if they needed the bathroom. He had devised another punishment. The children would wear a backpack which he would systematically fill with rocks. They were only allowed to take it off once Papa had decided that they had made enough penance for their supposed sins against him. This next bit is a little rough, so I'm going to give another trigger warning. Whenever the youngest would become fussy, Papa would place his hand over the mouth and nose until they turned blue and passed out. Thankfully, they never came to any mortal harm. Papa would eventually stop drinking when he ended up in hospital when suffering from a pancreatitis attack, but that would not really change the way he treated his family. That winter, the family's first whole winter on the property was hard. They had little to go around and at points, some of the smaller boys were so hungry that they would eat the dog food. The family were living in a small cabin as they were still renovating the main house. Papa still continued his emotional and physical abuse of all of the children. One evening, while Papa and the older kids were in town getting some more of their meager supplies, Country Rose was back at their cabin taking care of the children. The ventilation for the small wood-fired stove was not working and the cabin burned down. Thankfully, they all got out and managed to take shelter in the half-renovated main house. That spring in 2003, when the National Parks Rangers were flying over the park doing their annual inspection, they noticed the bulldozed road through their land. This discovery would spark a long legal battle and would mark the beginning of the end of Papa Pilgrim's reign of terror. The dispute made national news, and the local and even some international news agencies made their way up to the small hamlet of McCarthy to cover the story. At first, 
The local community rallied around the family. Everyone saw the Hale family as David, fighting for their rights against the Goliath-type authorities who wanted to mess with their way of life. Papa seemed to love the attention, giving interviews in print, on screen, and even on the radio. He managed to work in the sad tale of the family losing their shelter to fire. In the wake of all of the media attention, there was an outpouring of support for the Hale family, and help flooded their way. People from all over America sent aid to the family in the form of food, clothes, and other supplies. The battle between the Hales and the authorities drew on, and, as I mentioned, at first the town rallied behind them. But as time went on, they became disillusioned with the family, mostly the patriarch. He would trespass on their lands, have the boys, well, men at this point, take that which did not belong to them, and caused some issues taking tourism business away from locals who had been there much longer than they had. And all of this under the guise of righteousness, and this being their God-given right. In the winter of 2004, another significant thing happened, which would change the trajectory of the family, and above all, Papa's hold over the children. Country Rose and the two eldest sons met the Buckingham family while away on a supply run. Jim and Martha Buckingham were a devout Christian couple with nine children who lived a life of devotion to their faith. They lived in a small town called Palmer. The older Hale boys kept finding reasons to contact the family. Soon, both families would speak to each other over the phone. The Hale sons would visit with the Buckinghams whenever they went to Fairbanks for business. They would spend time with Jim, speaking about the scriptures, and found that his interpretations were vastly different from that of their father. It also didn't hurt that two of the Buckingham daughters, Sharia and Lolly, had caught the young men's eyes. Reluctantly, Papa agreed that the two families could get together for a hunting trip. During this trip, the Hale children saw a Christian family that was actually loving. They saw a father who loved his children and treated them well. They saw another life. Papa, true to his form, started arguing with Jim about his views, but instead of rising or, in this case, lowering himself to Papa's level, he patiently answered all of Papa's questions. I'm pretty sure he must have realized that his kids would be influenced by the Buckinghams, so when they departed, he declared that Jim was an evil man. Of course he did. But, as they had already made plans to go and spend some time with the Buckinghams in Palmer, Papa, Country Rose and all of the children ended up going. The Hales spent three weeks with the Buckinghams. During this time, Jim and Martha became suspicious about Papa's relationship with Elishaba, and Jim confronted him about this. Martha also asked Elishaba about it on a separate occasion. Elishaba, terrified of her father, denied everything. Eventually, as usual, Papa had worn out his welcome and the family left. But the seeds of doubt in their father and thinking of leaving the family had been sown into the Hale children's minds. I'm going to add another trigger warning here about physical and sexual assault. So if this is in any way triggering, please skip over the next minute or so. 
I won't go into too much detail, but it is an important point in Elisha's life. One winter's day, while the family was in McCarthy, Papa had once again become upset with Elisha. She had read the Bible and questioned his interpretation on how their relationship was. He was infuriated by this. He sent the rest of the family back to the mother load and made her stay with him in the Wanigan. He started off by verbally attacking her, and when she tried to explain, he hit her. Then he proceeded to beat her, and when she fell down, he kicked her. Mercifully, she passed out at some point, but when she came to, she was naked, and he was naked on top of her. This assault carried on for a couple of days, until she eventually persuaded him to let her go home. This time, however, something inside of her changed. She had stopped fearing her father. Her eyes had opened to the evil that he was. When they got home, when they got home, she immediately showed her brothers the bruises all over her face. They were completely appalled by what had happened. They went and confronted their father, and as expected, he lashed out and hit Joshua. Her brothers did, however, start making plans to leave. Joseph, Joshua, David, Moses and Israel managed to escape a short time later. They were, however, not able to take the girls with them at that point. The boys leaving made life for the rest of the family even harder, but also made Elisha more determined to leave. This determination was amplified when Elisha's younger sister, Jerusalem, confided in her that she knew what Papa was doing to her. She was not only determined to get away, but to save her sisters and the rest of her brothers from her father. He had on occasion threatened to do to her sisters what he had been doing to her, to keep her in line. In April of 2005, Elisha finally took her chance. Papa had left on a scouting trip. Once the roaring of the engine from his snowmobile died down, Elisha ran to her siblings to say her goodbyes. Hosanna called her brothers to set up a meeting place. She then grabbed a few food items from the pantry. Elisha and Jerusalem made their escape on one of the family's snow machines. They barely made it to the meeting spot before they heard their father looking for them. Their brothers had not arrived, so they spent a few days hidden under a bush, rationing their meager supplies and eating snow for liquid. They finally went to the house of one of the locals who wasn't there at the time. They somehow got into the house and used the phone to contact their brothers. They were finally rescued at 10pm that evening. The two sisters stayed in a cabin for a few days, and their brothers supplied them with anything that they needed. Jerusalem convinced Elisha to reach out to the Buckinghams, who invited them to come and live there. She contemplated just sending Jerusalem to them. But then, Joseph and Joshua went back to Hillbilly Heaven and got Hosanna out. The gold ended up with the Buckingham family, who welcomed them with open arms. While the girls were healing, things were getting worse back at the Hales. Papa now used the younger children as his punching bags. Israel, being the oldest boy left with the family, had had enough. One day, when Papa hit him, Israel hit him back. As a matter of fact, he hit him back so hard that Papa dropped to the floor. 
Not knowing what to do next, Israel called Jim. Jim instructed him to call the authorities and tell them everything, including all of the abuse. Then, after some time away from her father, and realizing that it was safe for her, Elisheba finally told the authorities everything. On 22 September 2005, Papa Pilgrim was indicted on 30 felony charges, including sexual assault, kidnapping and incest. The victim impact statements made by the children were absolutely heartbreaking. Initially, he was charged with 25 years in prison, but he pleaded no contest and was sentenced to 14 years in jail in November 2007. This included a clause that he would register as a sex offender and be treated for it. While in jail, he was barred from any contact with his family unless it was approved and supervised. Then, in May 2008, he died in prison at the age of 66. The rest of the family was welcomed into the home of the Buckinghams. Joseph and Joshua married Lolly and Sharia. Elisheba also married. All of the children found safety with their new family and started healing. Wherever they are, I hope that they are happy and I hope that they are living their best lives. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It will go a long way into improving the podcast and helping others find it. Please invite your family and friends to listen too. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe and like the video. You can leave a comment if you want to. You can find us on Facebook and you can email me at decodingcults at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. If there are any topics around the workings of cults which you would like further explanation on, or if there is a cult that you would like to hear about, email me or post it in the Facebook group. Remember to go and check out By Design Crafts SA and Endeavor AV and tell them that I sent you. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening.